like me, I'm sure many of you are doing shopping online like never before. You know, it's got to the stage where if an, a, a white van passes the house, Becky shouts, who's ordered Amazon? Um, I mean, it's, it literally has got to that stage at the moment. And, uh, you know, shopping not just from Amazon, but supermarkets, doing your groceries online. I mean, supermarket shopping was never particularly enjoyable. Um, but it's even less so now. And so uh, I'm sure, like us, many of you either get it delivered or you do click and collect if you can get a slot, um, which isn't all that uh, easy right now. I think it's probably uh, easier to, f- to, uh, to find the Ark of the Covenant right now sometimes than to get a slot with, with Tesco's or, or Sainsbury's when you want it. But, uh, but, and, th- and that's all great. And it, it works well getting it delivered and it stops the hassle of having to go into supermarkets. But there's one problem. And that is when they arrive, or when you arrive to pick up your groceries, and they say, we've made some substitutes. And what they have done is they have looked at what you have ordered, and they have given you what they consider to be the next best thing. Which, if anybody is like me, you look at it and you go, that is nothing like remotely what I ordered whatsoever. That is not a substitute. And I was reading an article in the paper in the last few weeks and it was talking about some of the worst substitutes that supermarkets have given. As It was looking at Asda, Sainsbury's and Tesco. Some of the worst substitute items. Uh, some of the places that they really got it wrong. Somebody ordered cranberry sauce for Christmas and were given HP brown sauce. Um, they ordered lemons and they were given citrus washing up liquid. <laughs> they ordered a bottle of vodka and uh, it was replaced with a cauliflower. Maybe better for them, but not what they wanted probably on a Saturday night. They ordered vegan mayonnaise. I, I don't know if something is sick within me finds this funny. They ordered vegan mayonnaise but were given pork pies. I just find that funny. If you're a vegan at home, you, bless you. Um, you'll be... Uh, Ordered toilet roll and sent me scarring pads. That's going to hurt. That is going to hurt. Ordered toothpaste, got curry paste. That is not good. Uh, Ordered batteries and got 12 kids coat hangers. Needless to say, the coat hangers didn't make the remote control work. Uh, Let me see. Uh, (laughs) I just love making fun of vegetarians. Um, They ordered vegetarian burgers and got chicken burgers. (laughs) Ordered a bottle of white wine. No, sorry, yeah, and got a sack of onions. Again, not the best Saturday night right there. Ordered strong mints and got beef mints. Um, ordered a premium salad and got a bar of dairy milk. Now, that is a win right there. That is a, subs- that is a sign from God. That is a gift. Uh, <laughs> I received nappies instead of toilet paper. Ultimately, it might be the next best thing, actually. That might be a good substitute. Um, Ordered gluten-free bread and got dog food. Probably both taste about the same. I asked for a punnet of peaches, and they substituted it for peach shampoo. Um, Six bread rolls replaced with six sausage rolls. Uh, Bella Smith from Swindon says that when she ordered toilet rolls from Tesco in March, she received floor wipes instead. They probably won't get the job done, she said, and they might sting a little. Supermarkets don't always give us our first choice. And let's be honest, neither does life. Sometimes in life, we wanted this, but we ended up with that. 
In online shopping, it's not so bad because you can just refuse it if they bring it to the door or you can send it back. In life, that isn't always the case. Sometimes we end up with our second choice or something that wouldn't have been a choice at all. And let's face it, right now we're living in what we could call a second choice world. Nobody, I hope, prayed for a pandemic, okay? None of us had a wish list for 2020 last year and said, you know what, I would love to wear a mask, to socially distance from my family, to not be able to travel or see my loved ones. Nobody's first choice is a virus or lockdowns or unemployment or sickness. This is what we have got and we didn't get a choice. And so here we are, we're living in what I'm calling a second choice world. So what do we do? How do we respond? Do we bunker down, just bury our heads, and keep peeping up every now and again to see if it's all gone away, and then we can re-emerge into society and get on with life again? Do we become paralyzed into passivity and fear? Do we get angry and frustrated and spend our time ranting and railing against the restrictions? Or is it possible to not just to survive in a second choice world, but to actually thrive? When you find yourself in somewhere that you never wanted to be, you never chose to be, and it wasn't on your list of things to do with your life, when you find yourself in that place that you don't want to be, is it possible that you can actually flourish in that place? I believe that the book of Daniel shows us that it is. The book of Daniel is famous for two stories. What are they? Lion's Den, check, in the fiery furnace. That's all most of us know, isn't that right? When we think about Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den and the fiery furnace, that is pretty much all most of us know. And yet there is so much more to this book than we have realized. And God is going to speak to us. And I think what he's going to show us is this. We can't choose our circumstances always, but we can choose what we do and how we respond and how we posture our hearts and how we live within the confines of a second choice world. We might not choose the second choice world, but if we find ourselves there, we can actually flourish and thrive within that. Today, I'm just literally going to do a bit, with the time we have, do a bit of an introduction to the book of Daniel so that we know what was going on at the time. Let me read the first couple of verses, verses one and two. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the tr- put in the treasure uh, house of his God. So this takes place about 2,500 years ago, 2,600 years ago, 605 BC. After, you'll have heard of King David, yeah, killed the giant, became king, greatest king Israel ever had. His son was called Solomon, again did okay, but then towards the end sort of messed up a bit and started marrying foreign wives and stuff. And after that, because of that, uh, Israel splits up into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which had ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which had two tribes, okay? But Judah was also where Jerusalem, the holy city was. It was where the temple was. It was where the place where the presence of God dwelt. Now, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, they had already been rebelling against God for some time. They'd been turning their back on God. And so God sent the Assyrian Empire to come in and to take over and carry some of them into exile. But so far at that point, the southern kingdom 
hadn't slid so far away from God. And so they had been protected by God. They were still safe. They were still uh, enjoying a certain degree of freedom. But then Judah also begins to slide away from God over time. Injustice. Oppressing the poor and needy and orphan and widow. Immorality. Sexual practices and all sorts of deviance that they were not called to do as the people of God. And idolatry. They began to worship the gods of the nations around them. Injustice, immorality, and idolatry were the three things that that God would not tolerate. And so God sent prophets to warn them. He sent a number of prophets. One of them is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who we read about, Jeremiah came along and, and, and a number of other prophets like Zechariah uh, and, uh, and, and Habakkuk, who we read at, from at the start, they came along and they began to say, look guys, you need to sort this out. You're the people of God. God will not tolerate this. And if you don't put things right soon, there's going to be consequences. If you don't repent of your sin and return to God there's going to be consequences. But of course, like many of us, we think we know better. We think we can do what we want. We can snub our nose at God and we can live however we want and there won't be any consequences. And so they continued to drift further and further from God. By this stage, the Assyrians had been defeated by a new world power called the Babylonians. Now, the reason most of us have heard of the Babylonians is because of that wonderful Boney M song. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down. Oh, yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. That's one of the Psalms that was written during the Babylonian exile. They say, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know what we're going to discover in the book of Daniel? That you can sing in Babylon. That no matter where you find yourself, you can still worship God. That actually praise can still happen in a second choice world. And so the Babylonians are now the world power. And God lifts his hand of blessing and protection and favor off from his people in Judah. And the Babylonians come in and they take over and they ransack ransack the temple. And they carry off some of the, the sacred articles and they put them in their own temple. And you know what that was saying? It was saying that our God's stronger than your God. We go into your temple and we take your stuff. That's because our God, Dagon, is stronger than your God. That's what they were trying to tell God's people. Was it true? No. Because verse 2 makes it very clear where the real power lay. Look at verse 2. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It might have looked like it was a Babylonian might and power, and military machine that had delivered Judah into the hand of the Babylonians, but it wasn't. Because behind the earthly power, there was a sovereign power. Behind the earthly throne, there was a sovereign throne. And he was in control. He allowed it, he ordained it, he permitted it, which to me doesn't make sense because the Hebrew people, as bad and as immoral as they were, were nowhere near as those old rascals in Babylon, okay? They were like the worst of the worst of the worst. They were a brutal people, a ruthless people. They made the, 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 the most evil Hebrew seem like Cliff Richard, okay? Like they were, they were rough like. And so why, why would God allow an even more wicked people to punish 
his bad people. Because the Babylonians weren't his children, but Israel were. Parents, I'm sure many of you, if you were being really honest, particularly those parents who have kids, maybe over five, you will have one of your kids' friends or classmates or someone on their sports team that if they were your child, you would probably kill them. Have you ever? Let's be really honest. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try to be really careful here, because, but but there's at least some friends of your child or children who you go, if they were my child. But the problem is, you can't because you'd end up in jail. Okay, the only child you can discipline is your own, and God doesn't discipline the Babylonians that he's not right now. First of all, he wants to deal with his own children. He wants to deal with his own sons and daughters. And they are the people of Judah. They are his own people who were called out to belong to him. You know, sometimes the worst thing God can do is give us what we want. I found that in my own life. Sometimes the worst thing God can do is to give you what you want because you think you want it and then you get it and then you realize you didn't want it. And the people of Judah, the Hebrews here, wanted to serve foreign gods and they wanted to worship other gods and they wanted immorality and they wanted idolatry. And God says, you know what? If you don't want me, let me show you what that's like. If you don't want me as your Lord and your God and your King, I am going to remove my hand of blessing, my hand of protection off you, and let's just see how that goes for you. And his intention was not ultimately to harm them, but to heal them. It wasn't to destroy them, but to bring them to repentance in him. And so God lets them experience the consequences of their sin. And some of you might think, well, God doesn't do that. The God I love, the God I serve, the God I worship would never do that. The God I love is too nice, he's too sweet, he's too kind. He would never do that. Maybe you don't follow the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible will do whatever it takes to bring his people back to himself even if it means sending his son to a cross, even if it means putting his people into situations and circumstances and to face consequences that they don't want to face. The God of the Bible will even use my enemies and his enemies to do his will. We need to understand that God's purposes are greater than my preferences. God's purposes are greater than my preferences. And I don't like that because I want God to agree with me. If I like something, if I think something is right, if I think this is the way it should be done, if this is what I, I, I just assume that God agrees with me. We all do. Because we, we like to think that God's on our side. Everybody, every nation in the world likes to think God's on their side. But God's purposes are not subject to my preferences. And among some Christians today, there's this notion that we can do whatever we want, live however we want, sin however we want, and sure, God's a God of grace and we can get away with it. Can I say to you, God will forgive your sin and you might not end up in hell, but you will face consequences. There are consequences for sin in this life. If you sleep around and get pregnant, you will repent, God will forgive you, but you will still have a child. It won't suddenly disappear out of the womb. If you, if you commit a, a, adultery and then realize you've made a huge mistake 
and you repent, God might forgive you, but your spouse might not want to be with you anymore. There's consequences. And we live in a world where we've somehow convinced ourselves that God is just a big, you know, big granddaddy in the sky. He just goes, oh, boys will be boys. You know, let them just get on with it. No, God says to you, I love you so much and you're going down a road and I will not tolerate that. And if you keep going down that road, you're going to destroy yourself. And therefore, I have to let you hit rock bottom. I have to let you not just look at the sin of others through a telescope, but look at yourself in a mirror and see just how far you have got from me. The Babylonians invading Judah was not the work of the devil. It was the will of God. And sometimes when things go wrong in our lives, we're so quick to blame the devil. You know, we give the devil way too much credit sometimes. Sometimes it is our own sin and stupidity. And sometimes, you know what, it's the sin of others that leads us to live in a second choice world. Because as we're going to see in a moment, that was the case for Daniel. Daniel and, the, and, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, well, they, they were actually four of the more decent, righteous, God-loving people. We see that through the book of Daniel. And yet they suffered because of other people's sins. Sometimes you will end up in a second-choice world, not because of something you did, but because of something that somebody else did. And it doesn't seem fair. You see, it's bad enough when you have to deal with the consequences of your own stupidity. But when you're suffering because of what somebody else did, That makes it even worse. And yet we are going to see that even in the midst of that, God is at work and God can bless them and God can use them in their second choice world. You know, I just, I think, do I get political here? Um, When I look at the states at the minute, okay, like, who watches the news about do with the states at the minute? We, I think most of us are quite fascinated at the minute. Um, here's what I think is going on in the states. Well, all the prophets were declaring and proclaiming that Trump was going to serve a second term. And whether you like him or hate him, or love him or loathe him, it doesn't, I, that's not my... I th- what I would say is I think his policies were much better than the Democrats' policies, okay? Much more... more whether he's doing it just to appease evangelicals or because he really believes it. I'm not looking for... for for Jesus to be the president, okay? I'm looking for, I, I think there should be a president. I'd rather have a president that somehow sticks somewhere to this word, for whatever reason, okay? So all the prophets were believing that because of that, Trump was going to win. But here's the problem in America right now. And we've, I know we have Americans who also watch this later on in the day. And I love you dearly, I really do. I think America's divided, I think it's very clear it's divided. That doesn't need to be a prophet to say that. It's divided pretty much right down the middle. There are a group of people who hate God, who are immoral, who are anarchists, who do not want God in any part of that culture, who, who celebrate sin and immorality. Then there are another group of people, and many of them would be what we would call evangelicals in the church. And while they would have the same morals in many ways as we would have, you know what their problem became? Idolatry that they looked at Trump as their saviour instead of Jesus as their saviour. So we have the immorality on one side, and then we've got the idolatry on the other side. And I think God has been pleading with both sides and sending messengers to both sides for years, and they've rejected them. And one side has said, we want our sin, and the other one says, we want Trump as our saviour. And God has said, you know what? I'm just going to lift my hand off for a little while and let you, let you see what it's like without me. 
I have blessed you as a nation since your inception. I have blessed you since your formation and you have turned your back on me and I am just going to let you experience a little bit of what life is like without me. And it's not going to be pretty. It is not going to be pretty. And that's the reality of life, that God sometimes gives us what we want. And then we realize we don't want it. And his goal and his desire is not for America or for us or for anyone to perish. The Bible says that very clearly. It's that we would return our hearts to him. That we would turn from immorality, that we would turn from idolatry, and we would have one king and one president and one lord and one master, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate purpose. And I have come to the conclusion, and I came to the conclusion a while ago, whatever you think about that election in the States, whatever, and and we all have our own opinion, I believe Biden will be put in president for a very short time. I think he'll be replaced very quickly. I mean, I don't think you have to be prophetic to say that either. Um, I do think there is that 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 there's a political party who think they've triumphed, but I think they don't realise that there's a God on the throne who's pulling the strings, and that His will will be done, and that everything He does has a purpose. And we can say that to our own political situation. We can say that in our own lives. That ultimately, there is a king above all kings. There is a lord above all lords. There is a power above all power. And he will have his way. Now, he doesn't control every minutia. We are a people of free will. But he has a purpose and a plan for history. And he will do whatever it takes to get there. And when I read the Bible, I look and I see where things are going. And when I get to the end of the book, God has taken us towards that and he will have his sovereign will done no matter what anyway let me come back to the text just a few more verses today and then we're done then the king ordered Ashpenaz chief of the court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility young men without physical defect handsome goodness I'm so glad I wasn't alive back then I'd have been a goner um showing up to see the for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So as well as invading Judah and bringing back some of the sacred articles from the temple, they also bring back some of the people. They look at the nobility, the royalty, the influencers, the key people in that society, particularly the young men. And you know what they, they want to do? They want to bring them back and, and train them for senior level civil service jobs, which for some of us sounds like lovely and some of us sounds like hell. But they, but they want to train them for the civil service. They want to train them in the, in the ways and the business and the government of Babylon so that they have new young leaders coming up who they can send around the world to spread the gospel of Babylon. That is why Daniel is there. That is why uh, they, they, they bring back. Because they want to indoctrinate them into the, the ways of Babylon. So that as, and it's a very smart thing. Take the smartest people and train them up when they're young. And at this stage, the, the, the word used for, for, for Daniel is... Actually, let me, let, me, let, me get into the, let me read verses 6 and 7 before I explain this. Among those who were chosen... I wish I hadn't done this now. From Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief 
official give the, to them the new names, and we'll think about that next week. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. I bet he was like, can you just call me Belty? Um, Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So Daniel is one of those people carried off into Babylon. And the word used for these four guys literally means lads in the Hebrew. Like that literally, literally, and this is like one of the top theologians, just lads. In other words, they were a bunch of guys somewhere between 13 and 18. They were teenagers, okay? So, and suddenly they find themselves plucked out of their life. They're essentially kidnapped or trafficked out of their privileged existence, brought to Babylon, a foreign land, with people who don't care who they are, people where there's a different language, land, customs, food, morals, and different gods. Think about this. I want you to think about this. Imagine you're 15. For some of you, that will be harder than others. But imagine you're 15, and you live locally here. I was going to say you live in Lurgan. Some of you might want to be carried off uh, somewhere else if you live in Lurgan. So uh, just you live, you live in the place where you want to live, okay? You're, you're, it's your first choice life here. You've got a cushy life. You're from a rich, well-known family. You've got a good job. You're intelligent. You're good-looking. Everything is going in the right direction for you. The future's bright. This is hypothetical, but go with me. Okay? Now, imagine now China. Totally hypothetical, okay? China invades Europe, okay? Millions and millions of Chinese troops swarm across Europe. And eventually they make it to England, which doesn't bother most of us that much because the English can get whatever they want. But eventually then, you know, they take Boris Johnson captive and he, he rides his bike and tries to get away. But eventually... They make it, this is why we should pre-record actually probably. Um, eventually they make it here to Northern Ireland, okay? Eventually hundreds, thousands of Chinese soldiers make it into Northern Ireland here and they, they ransack the place, they take away all the nice cars and all the nice stuff and then they start to look for the prettiest, most handsome, most intelligent, uh, smartest uh, uh, People with the most potential. Now, use would all be fine. But, um, no, but no, imagine, imagine then they carry you off. They put you on a boat or a plane and you find yourself landing in Beijing. Okay? And you get out of the plane. Some of you are like, I like Chinese food. It's not like that in China. Okay? It is not like your local takeaway. Okay? So you get in, you're in Beijing, you get out of the plane and suddenly you look around you and everybody's looking at you because you dress funny. And you can't understand a word they're saying. And the food isn't like, you know, like the local takeaway down the road. It's a, a little bit different. I mean, if you like a bit of dog or something, that's, that's fine. Um, sorry, Becky. I'm getting that look. I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to pull it back, everybody. I'm pulling it back. But those wet markets, it's just it's fact. Um, anyway, so, so you go over there. You, the language, the culture, the food... The gods, there's no other Christians. You have no other Christians at all. Nobody follows Jesus that you know. I know there's the underground church, but go with me in this, okay? Uh, nobody follows Jesus. They all follow the, the communist regime and, 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 and that. And, and you just are like, this is where I am. Nobody cares about me. Nobody, you know, like, like Bruce Willis or Liam Neeson are not coming to get me here. Um, I, this is it. This is, this is my life. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. This is my life. That is essentially what's happened there. Only worse. Because the Babylonians were incredibly ruthless and incredibly cruel, especially their king, Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't want this. You would never have picked it. But here you are in your second choice world. What do you do? 
Actually, for most of us, that wouldn't be a second, third, or fourth choice. That would be our last choice. So what do you do? So the reality is we all spend seasons and chapters of our lives in our second choice world. A lot of life is spent in our second choice world. Some people spend years or decades of their life in a second choice world. They thought things were going to turn out one way. I used to go to a sandwich shop in Belfast all the time when I lived on the Lisburn Road called Doorsteps. I used to go in and I got to know all the staff and one day I got chatting to a guy and we used to end up, he was a sales guy, he was on the road but I always stopped there for lunch and I got chatting to him and we became friends over time and he was a youngish guy and he had been married for a few years and I just started talking to him about his family and he said, yeah, uh, six months after we got married my wife got MS and it developed very, very quickly and she can't leave the house and I'm her carer, we can't try and, and he said, this was not what I signed up for, this is not, he says, I love her but this is not what I expected when I married her. Some of us find ourselves in situations that, that we didn't expect. And we make do and we get on with it and we love the people. And, but they're not what we dreamt of. They're not what we planned. They're not what we hoped. They're not what we dreamed. They're not what we expected. And they're not what the advertisers and social media tell us life is going to be like. Because advertisers and social media and the world out there tells us that life can be perfect. If you just buy this thing, if you just go on this holiday, if you just get these six-pack abs, if you just marry this person, if you just have this job, if you just have a spouse who looks like this, life will be perfect. That's the job of advertising, to create dissatisfaction. A satisfied person will not buy anything much. If you just wear this Lynx deodorant, girls will chase you down the street. I tried it before I met my wife and she was the only one chased me down the street. <laughs> but it's true. You know, the reality is even the very, very best moments of our lives aren't perfect. What do they say is the most perfect day of your life? Your wedding day. Isn't that what people say? That's why some of the girls in our church keep cancelling their wedding or putting them, not cancelling, putting their weddings back at the minute. Because your wedding day is the perfect day. And so they want the perfect day with the perfect weather, with the perfect church, with the perfect dress and the perfect bridesmaids and the perfect service and the perfect, you know, uh, party afterwards and the perfect reception and the perfect wedding night and the perfect honeymoon. That's what we're sold. That's why we spend a ridiculously obscene amount of money on weddings. Because we're told if you do all of this, it will be perfect. And can I say to you, I mean, those of you who are married, your wedding day I'm hoping was okay. I'm hoping it like I'm hoping that you don't look you know. Was it perfect? <laughs> Jim says <laughs> So uh, Yeah, we're not sure, sorry. I just grasped on you there. Was, no, was it perfect? No, was it good? I hope so. Was it perfect? No. Ours was really good, okay? But can I say, like, I spent so long, because I was living in the curatage, a church house on Lurgan, so Becky was coming to move in with me. I spent so long putting together furniture and stuff that the house was a total mess. My groomsmen and my ushers arrived on the day of the wedding two hours before the service, and they looked in the kitchen, and there was just dirty dishes everywhere. So that's what, they ended up in there doing dirty dishes. It was so, 
it was so much going on that I hadn't time really to write a speech. And you'd think, Craig, you'd be fine with that. It wasn't the best speech I've ever given, let's just say. Okay, and then we get to the church, and the church is all fine, and then we get to the reception, and that's okay, apart from the food's late, and we're running a bit late, and then we've got 120 guests for the evening thing sitting in another room and waiting for us uh, while, while we finish off our meals. And during the speeches, the microphone's not working properly, and the people at the back can't hear, and they start heckling us, saying they're in the cheap seats. And uh, true story, true story. And uh, and what else? What else? What else? What else? And uh, and and, and uh, yeah. And so eventually we get home, and I'm I'm an introvert naturally, believe it or not. And so talking to all these people and being around all these people all day has drained me. And we get home and we look at a few presents, and we're like, we're really tired. Like we're really really tired. Like it's one a.m. or two a.m. on your wedding night, and you're meant to be enjoying your wedding night. We're like, we're really really tired. Okay. Like that is not the, that is not what it's painted to be. Okay. And uh, and then um and then we get up and we fly off the next morning and we fly to Cancun, which is paradise, and the hotel is perfect. It's perfect. Apart from I get the worst sinus infection I have ever had. Literally, I am in tears nearly because of the, the sinus pain in my face. That is not what you want on your honeymoon. Okay, anyway, I managed to get some medication to get the sinus infection. We we fly to Vegas just to share the gospel and uh, we're driving from Vegas. I'm driving from Vegas down to the, well, we are, but I'm the one driving. I just want to make that clear. And uh, from Vegas down to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, it's a long drive, but it's fine. And as we're driving down, it's a beautiful day. Everything seems perfect. And we're overtaking a huge truck, and the truck starts to veer across. And we're right, you know when you're right in the middle of it, so you can't go back or you can't go forward? You're right, and, and it's veering, and... And I actually can see in his mirror, and the guy has fallen asleep at the wheel. And all he, and I'm banging the horn and saying words that aren't in the King James Version. And, uh, uh, and, and, and it's veering and veering, and we end up having to go down. I'm thumping the horn. We go down into the middle bit of the, the, the motorway and nearly get wrecked and then come back up, and the guy wakes up and goes, sorry. Okay? So, like, it was good. Was it perfect? No! It was wonderful, but was it perfect? No. Even the best moments of our lives are not perfect because we live in a fallen, broken world where perfection is a fantasy sold to us to make us always dissatisfied and thinking there's better out there. And if you're always thinking there's a better husband out there, there's a better wife out there, there's a better job out there, there's a better church out there, there's a better feeling out there, there's a better, you will spend your entire life searching for a fantasy and an illusion. We cannot buy into that lie that, that there's perfection out there. There's good out there and there's better out there. There is good and there's better, but there's not perfect. Even the best moments aren't perfect. So what do we do? What do we do? What do you do when you get that new house? And then you have to do so much work to it. What do you do when you get that new job, but you don't like the people or the pressure? What do you do when you get that new relationship? But after a while, she, you, you realize she makes funny noises when she eats. What do you do when you get that new spouse and the honeymoon period wears off? You go on holidays and the kids fight the entire way. If you can go on a holiday. And then you get there on the second day, you're so sunburned, you're in agony. What do you do? Life isn't perfect. It can be really good at times and we can be thankful. 
You know, someone has said, life is what happens to you while you were expecting something else. I think that's the way it generally is. And a lot of life is spent in a second choice world, or a world that we wouldn't choose at all. And that's where we are right now. And for some of you, your life was already a second choice world. Before COVID. You already had significant issues and pressures and sickness and stresses in your life. And now you've got the, the big second choice world of COVID and then you've got your own pressures and sometimes it's going to feel like too much. What do we do in a second choice world? That's what we're going to look at in the coming weeks as we explore the life of Daniel. And here's what we're going to discover. Here's what we're going to discover and I'm going to finish now. That there's no perfect life There's no perfect place and there's no perfect time, but there's a faithful God. There's no perfect life, there's no perfect place, and there's no perfect time, but there is a faithful God. And even in circumstances that we didn't choose, and even in circumstances that we're in because of the fault of others, if we will posture our heart in humility and faith before God, and if we will keep our eyes fixed on him, and if we will live with confidence and conviction, we can flourish in our second choice world. That's the worst feeling when you know it's building up right there, but you can't do it on the microphone. If we will live lives of grace and truth and won't compromise with our culture or hide from the world, we can flourish and thrive. We can bloom in winter. We can shine in the darkness and we can influence and impact the world around us because that's what we see in Daniel. He ended up influencing peasants and kings and ended up spending 70 years in a second choice world but became an advisor to kings and someone with huge influence. Why? Because he chose not to let what was around him define who he was but he chose to let his relationship with God be the shaping influence in his life. You know, it's strange some of the things you remember now I'm actually finishing now. This is a story. It's funny some of the things you remember about the past. You know, as I was preparing this, for some reason I remembered when I was 23 years old, I went off on on a marketing internship to Cleveland, Ohio. Some of you have heard me mention it before. Remember the station wagon and and that? And uh, and I remember, just this week, I hadn't thought about this. This was half my life ago, because I was 23 at the time, and I'm 45 now, so I'm 46 this year. And, uh, and, and so I was remembered, I hadn't thought about this probably in 20 years, and I, I remember so clearly I arrived in Cleveland Airport at the start of the second week of January in 1999. And there was two feet of snow on the ground. And somebody from the company I was going to work for came and picked me up. And they had basically searched through trying to find a room for me. And at the university, at Kent State University, they, they, they'd found... Uh, somebody had just moved out of an apartment, I think, uh, and this guy was living on his own. And so they, they said, we've got a room for you at Kent State. We'll drop you off there uh, and we'll, we'll leave. And so that's basically what happened. They brought me to the, the dorms. They said, there's your station wagon. My heart sank. Uh, they sent me up to my room. Uh, basically said, that's where you're living. And away they drove off. And that was a Friday night and I wasn't starting work till Monday. And so I walk in and my, my roommate's not there. My flatmate's not there. And uh, I leave my bag in my room and I come and I sit in the living room and the TV's not working. And I'm, there's two feet of snow so I can't drive anywhere and I'm just sitting in the living room looking at the wall. 
And then I, I hear some noise, and my, my roommate comes back, or my flatmate, they call him a roommate in America, but we weren't sure in a bedroom. Um, it was a two-bedroom apartment. And uh, he comes back, and uh, he is as high as a kite. Um, his, uh, his degree, I think, was in marijuana. And, uh, I mean, literally, it was, this, it was this bad. I mean, we were on the second floor. After a while, when I did get to know people, they used to say on the ground floor they would walk past and they would smell it coming from. So I have never smoked it personally in there, can I say that? But I have smoked it passively for six months, okay, while I was living there. Um, I, I, it was just like you, you just stank of it. Um, and, uh, and, and then, because we didn't have mobile phones, I know that's for some of the younger ones. Like, But uh, this wasn't like during the Second World War. This was, you know like the late 90s. We didn't mobile phones and I had no way of contacting anyone from home to say I'd arrived safely. And so I said to the guy who was now my bestie, my flatmate, can I use your computer to uh, email my parents? And he said yes. And as I went to type in hotmail.com, whatever it was, another website that he had a preference for came up. And let's just say it was that moment I discovered that he liked men more than women. Um, And yeah, I know. And so... Um, so here I am in Cleveland, Ohio, with my pot smoking f- flatmate who has other preferences. And uh, and he, over that weekend, he kept drifting in and out of the apartment. And I just, I, you know, it's just so strange because I, I, I'd forgotten about this. I remember just sitting looking at the four walls of that apartment going, this doesn't look like the brochure they showed me. This is not the picture that they showed me on the brochure when I signed up for this. And I'm just thinking, honestly, how the how on earth did I end up here? Like how 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 did I end up here? And then I remembered how it ended up there. I remembered how it ended up there. Because I told this story before. Remember I'd been at New Horizon and I'd heard a preacher. And I'd said I would love to hear preaching like that every week. And the following week I went for an interview and they placed me in Cleveland, Ohio, and it was one mile down the road from that guy's church, even though he was Scottish. That's how I ended up there. And so in the midst of the second choice world of me going, what am I going to do in this place with this guy and this smoke? I remember that, that, that I was there by divine providence. That that was not an accident. But that there was a God in heaven who knew exactly what he was doing. And therefore, if I would, if I would keep my heart right and if I would trust him, I could flourish and thrive even in a place that wasn't where I wanted to be right there. And I ended up staying, you know, it was a six-month internship. I ended up staying two years. Not living with him, by the way. I moved out really quickly. No, after six months. Um, but those, that time became probably the most significant time of my life in shaping me for my future. It wasn't a time that I would particularly have chosen. It wasn't a time that was always comfortable or easy. But I look back now and I know God was in the midst of that. God was present, he was with me, and he, was, he had positioned me there. And once you realize that, and once you go, you know what, there is nowhere, if I move address, God's address is now my address. So that apartment that day became God's address, because I was there. And I want to say to you that whatever your address is in your second choice world, that's God's address today. God is with you. He is for you. And right now, you're listening to me and you're thinking, Craig, it doesn't feel like that. Stop this preacher talk. I want to say to you that Scripture shows 
Experience teaches that there is no place, no second, third, or fourth choice world that you cannot encounter the presence, the power, the peace, and the provision and the protection of God. But it's what you choose. It's what you choose when you're there. And that's what we're going to look at in the coming week.